Hi, welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding. My name is John Green. I'm the host of Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm glad you're here with me today. It's um, the third Sunday of Easter in 2020. We're still in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis uh, here in North Carolina, where I am. We're um, probably going to begin transitioning into a little more freedom and a little more life here after in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's been a long time. Um, it, this was the, as people have posted, this is the lentiest Lent that ever was, and it's not the Easteriest Easter that ever was. It's beautiful outside where I sit right now. As I look out, I can see dogwood trees blooming, and I can see uh, hosta getting ready to bloom, and, and it's beautiful where I am, but it feels foreign. It feels a little bit alien, and so I hope you're doing well. I hope things uh, in your life have been going pretty well, even in spite of all the changes you might have had to make, and so um, I'm looking forward to the next season. I'm excited about the future. I think we have a lot ahead of us and a lot in store. And, and if we as Christians treat this as an opportunity now to come out of something and into new life, then I think that that's the way we should approach this. We should approach this as, as a new start. And it, it's, it's a good time and a right time for that. Um, so today, what we've got is we've, we've got the, the lessons are uh, Isaiah 43, 1 to 12, 1 Peter 1, 17 to 23, and Luke 24, 13 through 35. I want to read the collect again today and pray this as we begin. O God, whose blessed Son did manifest himself to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open, we pray thee, the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work. Through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. I want to kind of begin, actually, by looking at um, that Isaiah passage a little bit, because it kind of ties in. There's a lot there that ties in with the um, show that I recently did on what does it mean to be a child of God? Who's a child of God? Um, I understand, the basic understanding is, is that we are all children of God because we're created in, in His image. And, and I hear that. I, I hear the, the pushback against that, but listen to the little bit of this. So these are the first couple of verses, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. It's a powerful statement. I've called you by my name and you are mine. And so of all the peoples in the world, God says to Israel in exile in this particular passage, you are mine. I've called you by my name. I have redeemed you. He made them his children. They were not his children before. And those who don't believe in him, those who are not the people of Israel at this time, are not his children. They're not the same. Everybody's not the same. He goes on to say, you're precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. And then he says, fear not, I'm with you. I'll bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give you up, and to the south, do not withhold. He's bringing home the, Israel, the Israelites. He's bringing them back to Jerusalem. He's bringing them out of exile. That's what he's saying. And then he says, <clears throat> again, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. 
everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Those are powerful statements there. They're powerful statements that indicate for certain that God has a peculiar and particular people who belong to him out of all those on the earth. And we know that, that in Jesus, this prophecy is gloriously fulfilled because there are those who are not of the tribe of Israel, those who were not born of Israel, who are gathered from the east, from the west, from the north and the south. And those who will be called by his name will come. And they are his children. And so it's a powerful statement that God makes there that, that's a little bit of a corrective to the, the thing we believe that because we're created in his image, we are then his children. No, we have to be adopted into the family. In the case of Israel, he adopted them beginning with Abraham. Because he said, I will be glorified in you and I will bless you and those you bless will be blessed and those you cursed will be cursed. So he is pulling together, as it were, a tribe, a people for himself, beginning with Abraham. And then those people are enslaved in Egypt, just as he foretold Abraham when he first gave him this promise that his people would be slaves in Egypt. And so they were for several hundred years. But even while they were slaves in Egypt, the Lord prospered them during that time, blessed them mightily, and they became so numerous that Pharaoh decided they were a danger to the people of Egypt. They were too numerous, and they might rebel, or they might fight against Egypt if another group of people did. And so that's why they were enslaved. And then God redeemed them. He cursed the people of Egypt, cursed Pharaoh, took the firstborn of all the families of Egypt and delivered his people. And he did it again and again, and he protected them against their enemies. But even more than that, they conquered a land where there were already people. So there's something to be said about being uniquely God's people. I want to tell you a quick story about that, though, because it, it, it's something that can become a, a source of pride. And so the way that the, uh, the language is when they're at Mount Sinai, when they're making a covenant to become God's people, his special people on all the earth, those who will be blessed and protected by him as king, what happens there is unusual in the eyes of the sages of Israel. They say that the people of Israel should not be proud at all of being God's people in, in a sense of taking any pride in themselves as being God's chosen people because what they teach is, is that the, the language is when they're at the foot of the mountain, it's actually that the mountain is being held over the people of Israel. So it's levitating off the, the surface of the earth and is held over the people. And God's essentially saying, there, do you want my covenant or do you want this for me to drop the mountain on top of you? And the language gives them every right to do that. There's, there's absolutely, that's the most a literal translation of what's going on there. And so what they've said was, is that they've got to offer that covenant to every other nation on earth and they turn him down. And then only under great duress at Sinai with the mountain hovering over the people of Israel, do they accept the covenant? And so there's a, there's a humility in that, that, that says we are not particularly special. God is. 
And so it's all about him. It's never about them. And in the lesson from first Peter, that's exactly what Peter stresses in that. He says, if you call on him, his father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. And what he means by the exile is the exile from being with him. This, this life is the exile Peter's speaking about there. And he, and he says, conduct yourself with fear during that time, because he speaks still of judging impartially according to each one's deeds. And, and then he says, to conduct yourself with fear, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, through whom, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So he says, conduct yourselves with fear. And that word fear could, could be equally rendered humility because you didn't do anything. He chose you. And he redeemed you in exactly the same way the people it, it, the people were redeemed from and ransomed from Egypt. He paid the ransom price from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Peter said, turn your back on all those things. Whether he's speaking to Jews or Gentiles here really doesn't matter in some ways. Because what he's saying is, is that you've been ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers. In other words... You were in captivity, and you were going to stay in captivity. You were going to die in captivity, but you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, who was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers. So it's, it's that act of believing in Jesus, which means the entire redemptive work of Jesus, that that allows us to stand in faith and to become his children. So Peter is and Isaiah are saying the same thing to two different groups of people. Paul will talk about we, the wild olive tree, being grafted into the natural olive tree. And we shouldn't take any great pride in that because ultimately what he says is, is that the, the, the natural tree is better than the wild tree. You're just lucky to have been grafted into that tree that is the true Israel of God, which includes all of us. It includes all those who believe in the name of Jesus. And we see that in that multitude, that mixed multitude in Revelation that begins with 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes and then says, then it's those from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So it's always that mixed multitude. Jesus made a way for us to come into the covenant by his death on the cross. And so Peter says, just, just walk it out in fear and trembling, which is exactly what Paul says. <clears throat> Peter's words are, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. P Paul says, um, walk out your uh, faith, salvation in fear and trembling. We don't hear that very often in the church nowadays. It's not something that, that anybody ever really focuses on. It's the idea of walking out your salvation because what we think about, we, we think about justification, which is when we are saved, when we acknowledge Jesus as Savior and Lord. But 
sometimes we forget the idea of we're, we're not just supposed to stay there in justification. We're, we're to come to sanctification in our lives. We're supposed to become more and more like him. And so we walk out our salvation in that way. Peter says the, the father judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So you've been redeemed and now you're a new creation. And that should show. Somebody should know that. God should know that from the beginning. But then Peter goes on to say something really interesting. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. There's a new spirit that's been given to us, and that, he says, should show forth in love for one another. That's who we're supposed to be. People should remark, see how those Christians love one another. It's, it's the way we're intended to be. And, and I think sometimes what we lose in our fellowship is the, the unity of the Spirit in what we're talking about and how we spend our time. Too often in the church, we spend time talking about money. We spend time talking about buildings. We spend time talking about this, that, and the other thing. And too often, we're not following the injunction Paul gives to the Philippians to constantly be speaking of the word, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms and things that are beautiful and lovely and all that. We, we tend to spend way too much of our time on mundane things like buildings and money or politics or whatever's put off college football or pro football. I'm guilty of all these things. I wouldn't know what they were if I didn't, if I weren't guilty of them. And so one of the things that we're called to do is, is when we're together, whether there's two of us together or whether it's the congregation, what we're supposed to do is build one another up in the spirit by focusing on the things of the spirit, focusing on the things of God. And so it's the, the best times of fellowship that I have with other Christians, whether it's in the gym or, or on the phone or wherever we are, is when we both love the word of God so much and we know a certain amount of the word of God, but, but, they're able to teach me because they have an insight that I don't have. And so our conversation is peppered with references to the word of God or what God's doing in our lives or through our lives and, or in ministry we have or whatever. And so that's the way that we're intended to love one another, that, that we're intended to bond through the things of God, through the word of God, by the spirit of God. And so that's what I want to talk about today really is, is what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be part of the fellowship of the children of God? And what it was supposed to be from the beginning was that, that life in the land for the Jews was intended to reflect the glory of God in all things. He would give growth and, and blessing to everything they did, but they were supposed to constantly have on their minds, on their hearts, on their doors, everywhere, reminders that it was him. God said the greatest danger his people face, this is Deuteronomy 8, he says when you come into the land, you're going to forget. Moses knows people. He knows human nature. He says when you come into the land and you're going to get all these things and life's going to be good and life's going to be easy, you're going to forget. And you're going to say, look at all the things that I've won for me with my arm. And you're going to forget that God gave you all of this. You wouldn't have had any of it if it weren't for him. 
And so the problem always for God's people is prosperity. And so what I'm hopeful for is this whole pandemic or whatever it is that we're in right now will become an opportunity and a time for Christians to get refocused and keep the main thing the main thing. That, that we'll be reminded that life is not in our work. It's not in all those other things that we have filled our time, time with because those things in large measure, a lot of those things we're not going to get back right away. We, when we do, we can be thankful for them. But what we should be able to do using this time well is to put those things in their proper place and proper perspective. It's the hope will give the church and give Christians a different perspective on things. And the perspective would be the perspective that Peter's talking about, the perspective that Isaiah is talking about. Are you redeemed? Are you ransomed? Have you been given life? And now's the time to focus on the gratitude and the joy in having that something you can hang on to and hold on to that's not perishable, it's imperishable. And so right now is a great time to focus on worship. It's a great time to focus on the Word of God. It's a great time to focus on fellowship with others through the phone or however you can do it, FaceTime, anything. But let that fellowship not just be friendship. Let it be truly fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Binding you together with other believers. That's the important thing and the important place for us to be right now. And and so we've got to remember that we are the redeemed. We are the ransomed. We've got to remember that God has given men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. You are precious in his eyes and honored and he loves you. That's who you are. And to remember what he says at the end of that Isaiah passage, I, I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Now the gospel lesson, it's the disciples on the road to Emmaus after, it, it seems like it's it must be on that same Sunday of the resurrection. So two of them were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's seven miles, Luke tells us. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And then Jesus drew near while they were walking and talking and discussing. And, he, and Luke says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So in other words, there's a veil drawn over their sight, as it were, that... <clears throat> prevented them from knowing who Jesus was when he came up to them. And so he asked them, what are you talking about? What is all this about? And they stood still looking sad, Luke tells us. And then one of them, Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? I mean, what kind of a rube are you? How uninformed can you possibly be that you don't know what happened? And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. It's resurrection day. Moreover, some of women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a, even a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it 
just as the women said, but him they did not see. You've probably heard this before, and it is true, that, that these women who were there were witnesses, and that's the language God used, that I'm God and you're witnesses. And so th these women were witnesses. Well, in Jewish law, do you know what value their testimony had? Nothing. Zero. Nada. No. You couldn't establish anything on the witness of women. They were considered to be unreliable witnesses. So you couldn't make a case based on the testimony of these women. So how interesting and wonderful it is that Jesus chose those women to be the first witnesses. They were blessed beyond measure. And why were they blessed beyond measure? Because they went there to perform a service for him that day. They weren't hiding. They came out and went to perform a service for Jesus, they, to prepare his body for burial. And so those women, they said, some of these women amazed us. They said they went, they had a vision of angels who said that he was alive, but the disciples went to verify that. Well, they couldn't. And so after that, Jesus said, oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe that the that all that the prophets have spoken, wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's funny, too often in the church nowadays, we don't, we don't look to Moses and the prophets in that way, but Jesus did. He used the Old Testament to prove that he was the Son of God all the way from Moses through the prophets and pointed towards, didn't I do, didn't all this happen? This is exactly what God has always said to you. And so the word of God is the word of God, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. We have a fuller understanding of the New Testament or the Old Testament because of Jesus. So Jesus explicates all the Old Testament for them so that they can see that indeed he was the one. And they loved listening to him. As they came close to Emmaus, they begged Jesus to go with them. It was late in the day. And he pretended like he was going further. And But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's toward the evening and the day is now far spent. It'd been a long day. It'd been a long, long weekend for these guys who believed that Jesus was the Messiah and then saw him crucified and now hear this story about he's alive. So he went in to stay with them. And then when they went in, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And so they looked at each other and they said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together. Those guys, we've already heard, it's close toward evening and the day is far spent. And they're seven miles from Jerusalem. But what they just had happened, what they just saw and experienced was so profound and powerful. They turned around and went back seven miles to Jerusalem because they had to tell the disciples. 
And they got there and the disciples were excited and happy and said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And these guys then look and go, hey, that's wonderful because you're not going to believe the story we're getting ready to tell you. You will not believe what happened to us. But those two things confirmed one another. And more than that, they confirmed the word of those women. Those who were the first to see, the first to know, the first to believe. It's when they talked together on the road, they were downcast. And then Jesus opened to them the scriptures. And then he revealed himself when he finished that in the breaking of the bread. So in Judaism, the way you're supposed to keep Passover is you're supposed to get yourself into, a, and, and all the festivals actually, including Sukkot when you go into the booths, you're supposed to get yourself into a mindset of being there at the time it happened. It's the same for Christians when we come to the table and we take communion. We're to have opened the scriptures, pointed to Jesus, understood why we take this bread and wine. It's because of, he told us to, in remembrance of his crucifixion and resurrection, that his body was broken, his blood was poured out for us. And it's in the breaking of the bread, together as a people, that we come together and we remind ourselves that we are his children through his body and his blood. We have been redeemed. We have been ransomed from the feudal ways. We've been given new life. It's something to celebrate. It's not just something to celebrate. It's something to tell everybody about. But it starts by us knowing the word of God. And then it continues with discussing the word of God with one another being passionate about that, being joyful about that, being enlivened by the word of God through the spirit of God and sharing that in fellowship with one another. We should be constantly gossiping the gospel to one another. We should gospel one another all the time and no less so, in fact, more so at this time when nothing seems to make sense and we don't know what the future is going to look like. And we're locked in our homes. But we can reach out to our brothers and sisters. And we can gospel one another. We can be excited about the word of God. We can be learning always and constantly and sharing that with others. And let our conversation with one another be seasoned and peppered with the word of God. Because we're so excited about what we're seeing, what we're hearing from him. If we want to be different people. And we have to do so by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. But don't keep it to yourself. Be so excited about it, like these disciples on the road to Emmaus, that you have to go and tell other disciples what the Lord has shown you. And let us share with one another in joy and enthusiasm, just as these disciples did when they found out the Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thank you. You've been listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm glad you're here.
here today. And if there's anything that I can do or any way that I can pray for you, connect through the Faith Seeking Understanding uh, Facebook page. And I will happily be in prayer for you. You can do that privately through notifications or you can do it publicly on the website. God bless. And I hope that your week is filled with his spirit.